0: Uh, it's good to be with you though this morning, um, those of you who are DVRing things. And um, we are, uh, if you've been with us at all for the last uh, eight weeks or so, we've been in Matthew's Gospel. We've been looking at uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, which is the Beatitudes, uh, which is essentially Jesus' declaration of what it looks like to be in his kingdom. Uh, and what we've said over and over again through this series is that uh, Jesus is a king And he's bringing his kingdom into the world. And that kingdom looks upside down from the reality of the way that uh, we all live, if it were not for Jesus. So Jesus, as the true king of the world, he comes into this world, which is upside down from the way that God intended it to be. And in a sense, he's putting things back into the way that they were intended to be uh, from the very beginning. God's heart, his intention for the world was to operate in a way that ev- absolutely everyone and everything looks and sounds and acts like Jesus. Um, but to those who have been in this world for any period of time, you realize, like, from our perspective, what Jesus is doing looks upside down. When the reality is, this world is the world that's that's upside down, and Jesus is right side up. And, and to 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 know Jesus to enter into what Jesus is doing in the world means that we get put right side up and then we are agents of right side upness. <laughs> we we get to go into the world and put things back the way that God intended them to be. And what we said last week is that the 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 label for that essentially that work is peacemaking. That we would be agents of his peace in the world, that we would reconnect people to their true and rightful king um, and uh, that we would be uh, people that that give our lives towards his peace um, now uh, we're going to look at the very last statement that Jesus talks about when it comes to the these blessed statements what does it mean to be prosperous that's the way that we've been translating the word uh, in Jesus's kingdom and so but let me ask this we, as we've gone through, um, the last four just in particular, how many of you, after talking about uh, mercy and purity and peacemaking, how many of you, just show of hands, would love those things to be true of your life? I'd love to be full of mercy. I'd love to be pure in heart. I'd love to be a peacemaker. All right, here, show of hands again. How many of you would like to be persecuted, insulted, falsely accused, and reviled. James is the only one with his hand up. <laughs> He's just a glutton for punishment. <laughs> Why do we raise our hands to the first four, but not the last ones? Jesus says to be blessed, to be prosperous, is not just to be full of mercy and purity and peacemaking. It's also to be this, and this is what he says in Matthew 5, 10-12. Blessed, or again we're translating um, prosperous, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely, Say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, Here's the way that the prosperity of the kingdom works. You can't get the prosperity of the other things unless you're willing to experience the prosperity of the last one. Because what we've said throughout this whole series is, if you remember, that it's, it's not just that some people in the kingdom experience mercy and others don't. It's not just that some people, when they get to know Jesus, get a pure heart and others don't. It's not just that some people... Operate as peacemakers in the world, but other followers of Jesus don't. No, if you're in Jesus' kingdom, everyone experiences all the things. Which means, if it's, if every one of these statements is not a some will, but an all will, then we have to apply the all will to the last statement as well, which means that persecution will be the experience of someone who is truly prosperous. In other words, somebody who is really part of Jesus' kingdom. And so if you rejoice at the thought of having the other traits, but not persecution, then what Jesus is telling us is, you don't yet understand what prosperity in my kingdom really means. That's a bold statement, right? Right? that he would say something so seemingly difficult to understand. we're going to unpack why that's difficult for us uh, in particular. But I love this about Jesus, that Jesus, he doesn't want you to be surprised when it happens. If if you're going to participate in his kingdom, he wants to prepare you because not everyone is going to receive Jesus' prosperity as good news. And so don't be caught off guard when it happens to you. Don't you love that about Jesus, that he doesn't sugarcoat things like we do? I'm, I was talking to Mandy about this and as a medical professional. She'll, she's often the bearer of bad news to people, and so she'll go and she'll meet with patients in the hospital, and she, she's thinking, okay, like, how will I, you know, warm them up to what I have to, to say to them, and and she was um, thinking about that, and... and um, Realized at one point, um, had to do with some medical things with her dad, and who was, who had a, an appointment with a cardiologist. And, uh, and, and she goes, You know what I love about this guy? He's, it's not just the way that he's, he, like, he has a plan of how to attack something, but he doesn't sugarcoat things. He just comes in and he says, Here's how it is. I'm not going to spend my time trying to dance around the issue. I want to tell you what's, what the reality is so that now we can walk in that reality to find a solution. And some, of the, some of the best physicians are are men and women that can do that well, right? If you've ever had a great physician, you know what I'm talking about. And Jesus is the best physician there is. He comes in and he just says... Here's who I am, and here's what it's going to cost to follow me. Now, if you come to reality about what that's going to cost you, now we can walk in, in a way that you'll, will actually produce in you joy and gladness. But if, if you shirk back from the reality that it's going to cost you something, if you don't don't enter into the truth that to be in my kingdom means that you're going to suffer then you're never going to find joy and gladness because you're always going to be tiptoeing around the the suffering that I'm going to call you to face. I I think we could get much better at the way that we declare this good news of the Gospel. Don't you? That to follow a king who gave up his life means that it's going to cost us our lives. Because whatever the king is like, the kingdom is going to be like. Because one follows the other. So here, here's, this is kind of the big question that you're probably thinking about. Why in the world would I consider myself blessed, prosperous? Why should I be glad if I'm persecuted? And I think the answer to that, in order to answer that, we have to answer two kind of alternate questions that help us to get to that one. And the first one is, what is the kingdom of heaven? And what does it mean to experience it? You have to know what the kingdom of heaven is in order to know how to be glad when you're suffering for it. And then the second one is, how does suffering actually enable you to tap into that kingdom? So that's where we're headed. What's the kingdom and why suffering? What's the kingdom? Um, I have to do con- some deconstruction before I reconstruct here's the deconstruction many of us when we think of the kingdom of heaven think about what what's what's automatically going on in your mind when you think about the kingdom of heaven the afterlife what's that Streets of gold, Streets of gold. yeah <laughs> pearly gates without yeah <laughs> Without potholes. What's that? Mansions. Mansions. Yeah. Not here and now. now. Yeah. Somewhere else at some other point in time that's not today. Um, Some future far off reality. Now here's the deconstruction. The kingdom of God is not just a place we go to in the future. It's a reality that we experience now. It's not just for you when you die it's for you as you live it's something that comes to you today and if you don't realize that you'll never suffer for it because to suffer for something that's far off and in the future and distant and, and kind of fuzzy um, will not enable you to make the hard decisions right now it's not concrete enough so, so what is the kingdom of heaven then? It's, the kingdom of heaven is the life that we get to experience when Jesus is reigning over everything. It's, it's life underneath His rule. Today, this morning, tomorrow morning, when you go into work. And the fact is, you, you can either enter into your everyday daily life under and experiencing the kingdom of heaven Or if you don't, you will be experiencing a different kingdom. And whether you realize it or not, the kingdom of heaven, to have the king of heaven ruling and reigning in your heart in every moment, that experience is the very thing that you have been waiting your whole life to get. To have Jesus present and active and ruling in your heart moment by moment day by day that's what you were built for because colossians 1 says that you were made by Jesus and you were made for Jesus and that just that doesn't just mean for him when you get to heaven and you're standing in a huge stadium you know and everyone's worshiping him at that point in time where there are no issues and no problems and no sin and Yes, it does mean that. One day we'll get to experience that. But you were made for Him and by Him today. Which means that your life only makes sense. It's only being lived to its full potential when you're experiencing Jesus. Because when you do, that experience is heaven on earth. And that's exactly what Jesus says. When He was on earth and he was actually in his last days and he was praying uh, for us and for his disciples, he said this. This was his prayer. Now this is eternal life, John seventeen three that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent, that they know you. Yeah, that's the same word that the Bible uses to describe Abraham when he knew his wife after they were married. It's a picture of intimacy and connectedness and vulnerability and fullness. And most of us, if we're honest, we think that we have to die in order to experience that, don't we? Now, here's the truth. In order to experience this, in order to have the king's presence and his power in your life, you do have to die. But it's not a physical death, it's a spiritual death. But it's, this is the point I want to emphasize to you. It's available to you. I, I love when Jesus is being asked about his kingdom by a group of Pharisees. And they're, they're waiting for the kingdom to show up. They, they, they want to see a, a king come in and start ruling in their world. And they, they want to see him throw off the oppressive government and lead people in freedom. And so they're asking him about this. And they're saying, are you the person? And what does this look like? And Jesus responds to them in Luke 17 and says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, it's within your grasp. So here's what Jesus is saying. I'm right here. Like, I'm the king, and eternal life is happening wherever I go. The kingdom is coming wherever I am. That's the whole reason he tries to teach his disciples to pray, Father, your will be done on on earth as it is in heaven. That's a declaration of the kingdom. In other words, he's saying, stop thinking that the kingdom is a place you go to and start praying that it's an experience that you and everyone around you would have. Don't pray about it as if it's something that can happen in the future. Ask God for it to become a reality now. Now, Let's demystify it. What did Jesus' kingdom look like as he was walking around the earth? What was happening in first century Palestine? So we often dialogue here, so you get to respond to this. What were some of the things that were happening everywhere Jesus went? Terrorism. (laughs) Terrorism. What kind? Yeah. Yeah. So he was he was tipping the apple cart, right? I mean, he was making waves everywhere he went, and that and people were suffering persecution, including him. So it wasn't a you know like oh Jesus came to town, everything's going to stay the same. No, like oftentimes when Jesus came to town, the people in power went uh oh, (laughs) because they knew something upsetting was going to happen. So, the, he was going to change the status quo. What else? Yeah, that's all you lawyers. What's that? Corruption. 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 Well, that was happening already. But what happens when Jesus shows up? Does the corruption continue? No. Those who are corrupt are called out on their corruption. Those who are exploiting others are called to the carpet. He goes in and he doesn't just let it go. He comes in and he, he says, This cannot stand. Yeah. Okay. So, but what happened when? I, here's what I'm getting at. Here's the Yeah, yeah. People were healed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Corruption was happening. And Jesus calls it out and puts a stop to it. People were sick. And what does the, happens when the kingdom comes? When the king comes. The sick are healed. What else? What's that? Yeah, there were people who were blind. And they were walking their whole life in blindness. And the king shows up. And the, and the blind get sight. yeah. There are people who are sitting their whole lives and people know it. And the king shows up and they don't get condemned for their sin. They get, they get released from their sin. Their debt is paid. Yeah. Yeah, so all, all the people that are, are isolated from one another because of their sin, because they're at the, the bottom of the totem pole those people get lifted up and they get brought together to become a new family. What else? What? Yeah. The forces of darkness have no choice but to repel in, in fear at the coming king because light dispels darkness. And so demons are cast out and, and people who are oppressed get set free. What else? I mean, is this taking shape for you? Just think about it like the to, to summarize. People are fed and people are healed and, and they're raised. The sinners are forgiven. The lost are found. The lonely are loved and brought in. In other words, everywhere Jesus went, it was heaven on earth. Wasn't it? A taste of what heaven's going to be like here and now everywhere the king goes. Why is it they, I mean, why do you think Jesus was so attractive? He was attractive because the people that had no power saw the king's power and how freely he was giving it away to people that didn't have power and they go, I want to be near him. I want to be close to him. I want to experience what it's like to be under his reign. People were willing to go wherever he went, travel hundreds of miles on foot just to, just to be in the, the, the dust cloud of this rabbi's sandals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a historian that said that um, for three years in first century Palestine, it was as if every disease and sickness... Was eradicated. I mean, it's like for an entire nation, for three years, they got to see what it was, what it would be like to have heaven reigning in this world. That's amazing. All because this one man, who's filled with the Spirit, who's God in the flesh, is walking around among us. We get heaven on earth. Now, now here, here's the thing. At the same time, people are attracted to Jesus, but at the same time, people are rebelled, uh, repelled by Jesus too, aren't they? He has this dual effect on people. And it, and it has everything to do with power. As I mentioned, the, those who are powerless, what do they do with him, with Jesus? They receive him gladly because they have nothing. They, they realize, I've got nothing to give up to receive the power of the king. He's mine. I I can have him and I can experience all of his resources and I don't have anything to, to give to this king. But at the same time, there were people that were full of power. And what do they do? They reject him. The people that were powerless receive him and the people that are powerful reject him. And if that isn't an accurate description of absolutely everyone, even in our day, who comes into contact with Jesus, then I don't know what is. I mean, think about your own heart and your own life. I lived for 21 years of my life trying to, to exercise power over my own world. And I thought, I can save myself if I do a good enough job. And then when it, it turned out that I was terrible at being a king over my own life, I, I, I actually like looked at other people around me who I thought were in worse condition than me and I thought, well, if I can save them, then that will prove that I have enough power to be okay. And so I, I was, like befriend people that were depressed and, and people that were downtrodden. And I thought, if I just had the resources to lift my friends up and, and give them a, a better day, then I'll be okay. And I failed at that, too. I mean, ultimately, at 21 years old, God had to bring me to the the reality that I was without power to do anything apart from him. And the moment I gave up my power, the moment I gave over my heart and my will and my life to say, I can't do this myself, was the moment I got the king's resources. I mean, isn't that your story, too? And isn't that the story of the people that are around you? The, the the people that you sense may be closest to the kingdom of God are the ones who are ready to lay down their power, to lay down their lives, to give it up and give it over to the king. And that process keeps happening. You know, when I said that what it looks like for the kingdom to come is to have the king walk around and exercise his rule. And we talked about all those examples. Here's the truth. For the kingdom of God to come in our world, it looks the exact same way. Only now we are his people filled with his spirit who are doing the same work. And so when we open up our homes and we open up our lives when we love the unlovable, and when we seek the lost, and when we forgive the unforgivable, and when we extend mercy to the merciless, when we treat people with purity rather than objects of gratification, what's happening? The kingdom is coming because it's the King doing it in us. You see, as a church, we don't do those things because they're good church things to do. Right? I mean, so often, I hear, when, when churches do things, they're like, well, that's just, that's what churches are supposed to do. They're supposed to feed the, the hungry and, and help the lost. That's just, that's the good Christian thing to do. No, don't, I mean, don't talk that way. It's not just the good Christian thing to do. It's what the king does. And we're kingdom people. Filled with the king. Which, which means we can do those things even when we don't really want to do them, because the King can have His way in our hearts even even when that His will contradicts ours. We we lay down our power for His power. And those around us who recognize they're powerless, they'll they'll be the ones that receive the King. And those who don't won't. Because here's the here's the reality that's going on in your heart. It's going on in the hearts of everybody that you come in contact with. We are, every single one of us, at every moment in time, building a kingdom. You're kingdom builders. Did you know that? You're actively building a domain of influence everywhere that you go. Someone in your domain is exercising dominion at every moment, at every time. And so it's either going to be a kingdom that's by us and for us, or it's going to be a kingdom that's by Jesus and for Jesus. Those are the only two options. You get to choose A or B. Everywhere you go. And Colossians 1 reminds us that God has rescued us not just to build our own kingdom everywhere we go, but He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son. That he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, I just think about this. Whose kingdom are you building? When you go to work tomorrow morning, whose fame are you after? Whose glory do you want to shine the most? When you're uh, at school... Who do you want to be seen as the most wonderful among your peers and your friends? Is it you or is it him? You only get two, chance, two, two options. And you'll know the answer to the question. You'll, you know if you're building his kingdom and not building your own. Because when you're building his kingdom, you want his way. You want His name to be the name that's above all other names. You want to give Him credit for every good thing that you have in your life. You'll say, "I, you know, if it weren't for Him, I wouldn't want to live this kind of life. I wouldn't want to be generous to people. I wouldn't want to forgive people. I wouldn't want to be merciful to people. I wouldn't want to treat people with mercy. I wouldn't want to extend myself to people. But Jesus, you say that wherever you go, the kingdom shows up. So Jesus, change my heart. Change my life. Be my king. And lead me where I would not go if it were not for you. To so say, I-, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done here in my world. I, I want my workplace. I want my neighborhood. I want my school. I want my family to look like the world looked when you walked among us. Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? Now, here's the good news. Jesus loves to answer that prayer. If that is your desire, if that is your heart, even if you're like, I want it to be my heart, I want it to be my desire but my heart isn't even there yet, that's good news because God can give you the will to even want what He wants. But He loves to answer the prayer. Why? Because that's what it means to inherit the Kingdom of Heaven. To inherit the Kingdom of Heaven means you get your hands on the King's resources. And our King is a generous King who loves to give His resources away to His kids who want the resources. I mean, it's like if you had the richest dad in the world who had an infinite bank account and wants you to live in the, in the riches that he provides for you, but you walk around in life going, I don't really want to go to the bank and get it. That would be foolishness, wouldn't it? And yeah, that's the life that we have access to. And Jesus says that that, that life, a life lived with the king's resources, is a righteous life. That's what it looks to live right side up when the world is upside down. Is that you would walk everywhere you go experiencing a foretaste of heaven on earth and you would bring that taste of, of the king everywhere you go. Now, inevitably what that's going to do is it's going to create a hunger in people for their true king. And that can only happen... You only get the resources of the king if you know the king. And when you do know the king, he he starts to change you from the inside out. You, you start to get his heart for other people, his hands for other people, his eyes for other people, his ears for other people. That's the amazing thing about being in the kingdom is that you don't have to manufacture any of it. Isn't that great news? You don't have to like go into work and be like, okay. How do I do this kingdom thing you know, like how do I love people and how how do I do this how how do I do this in my own strength no it's not it's not in your strength it's in the strength of your king. you start to see him flowing out through you you start to see like. I don't just pray because I like I'm supposed to pray because it's like meal time again and, and that's what Christians do. No, you get the king and then and then you want your heart to be saturated in prayer because you want a deep and affectionate relationship with God. You don't just give because Christians are tithers and they're supposed to do it. You're not just generous because you get a tax break for it at the end of the year. You're generous because you have a generous dad who's been generous with his own son to you. And you go, I want to be, be the embodiment of generosity just like you've done that for me. You don't just show hospitality to people that are like you and who, who, who show it back to you. Well, I'm, I'm not going to invite that person to dinner because they won't invite me back. No, you're, you're hospitable with people. You even struggle to love. You you love people who are who are unlovely. You don't just bless people who bless you back, but you bless people because you've been blessed by God through Jesus Christ. Because if God only loved the people that were lovely, then you and I would not be included. See, Jesus wants a different kind of. Right side up life for you. And it's one that's gonna, it's gonna involve your whole life and it's gonna take your whole life. And it's gonna be a life that overflows with the love of God in everything that you do. And the only way that you can tap into that resource and get those riches is through the King Himself. Please don't try to do it without Him. Now, here, here's, if we're living that kind of life, that's the life that's flowing out of us. Here's the question. Is that going to attract people or is it going to repel people? Yeah, yeah. Right. What's the only thing it won't do? Huh? Yeah. The only thing it won't do is nothing. The only thing a kingdom life will not do is, is protect the status quo is keep things as they are. Jesus didn't walk into Jerusalem and go, yeah, things are pretty good here without me. You know, I don't really need to do much rearranging here. (laughs) No, the whole city got turned upside down when the king entered. uh, Don't expect things to stay the same when the king enters your life. And, and don't expect the people around you to be able to stay the same when the king enters your life. Because the more the king is operating in you, the more that's going to both at the same time retract, attract some and repel others. Which means if if that isn't happening in any degree, in any measure, then you're probably not connected to and experiencing the king you probably haven't lived an upside-down life yet. Because upside-down people live, they, they live lives that prompt questions, don't they? I think far too often we look, so, look upside-down in the world's way rather than upside-down in the king's way. That we're not upside-down enough when it comes to our lives in the world. And that's really the reason that we're not attracting or repelling people is because we look just like everybody else. See, Jesus says if you're if you're giving people a foretaste of heaven, that's going to have an effect, and it, and it's going to lead you into not just um, experiencing the attraction of everyone around you. At the same time, you're going to experience the the, the adversarial nature of the kingdom too. Because a life that's lived in the kingdom is a revolt against this world. It's, it's going to war against this world. Why? Because a life that's submitted to Jesus is a life that says, you know what? I refuse to submit to any other king. Because when you stand for Jesus... What's happening? You're you're standing in the face of the other kings that are demanding your allegiance. When you say, he's my king and no one else, that means that money is no longer your king. And money is no longer where you find your security. And so, if you get a raise, great. If you lose your job, fine. Because my security is not in my paycheck. It's in the King that gives me that paycheck. And He'll continue to provide for me. When you're submitted to King Jesus, you're not submitted to your job as your meaning and purpose in the world. So if you get to be in that environment, great. But if you lose that environment, so what? That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to glorify the King everywhere you go. And He'll give you a different environment to do it in. To claim allegiance to the king means that you don't claim allegiance to your kids as your sole source of significance in the world. And so you don't live for their success so that they will approve of you as a mom or a dad and then you can say to yourself, I've been a good person because I've been a good parent. No, you have a greater king than that. When you're submitted to this king, it means your, your hobbies aren't your sole source of satisfaction in the world. And so so what if you miss a fishing trip or you miss an Eagles game? Because that's not your sole primary source of satisfaction. You see how I worked that in? <laughs> see, you always, you always fight for the king that you worship and, you, and the kingdom that you belong to. You will go to war for your king. You will protect him or it at all costs. And to be a a part of Jesus' kingdom is a declaration of war against the lesser kingdoms that you have served before. Now here's what happens, and this is why persecution comes. Because when you rebel against the kingdom of this world, the people that are still part of that kingdom and enslaved to those other kings what do they do what's their reaction at the at the base minimum it's confusion right why would you go and participate in a church gathering when the eagles are playing at 9:30 like you're an eagles fan right like why would you do that why is that confusion happening? It's it's because the difference between what you value and worship and what they value and worship is now coming to light. And that will happen everywhere you go if you're living according to the king. When you go into your job and you say I will not lie, steal or cheat this company no matter how bad they are to me. Your coworkers who think, well, I, I deserve something because if I'm wrong, then I get to wrong others will be confused and may even be hostile towards you because you've chosen a different way. When there is a, a spirit of gossip in the environments that you live in and everyone's talking about somebody else and downing someone else when they're not around and you say, I will not speak ill of people when they're not in my presence. I will only speak what is good of them and if I don't have anything to say, I won't say anything at all. And you choose not to participate in the spirit of that kingdom, you will be ostracized for it. You will pay a price for living according to the King. See, there are trivial examples to this and there are things that are really going to cost you if you live according to Jesus. If you're in your your school and you say, you know what? Jesus is the most important person in my world. Why would I not speak of Him? And everyone around you in that environment says, no, the kingdom of this world says we do not talk about Jesus here because that might make people feel bad about themselves. You say, but this is the best news I've got. And this is the only kingdom I live for. Why would I not bring that kingdom into this world? Because I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me if I claim his name? So what? my king. He died for me. Why would I not become a fool for him? Are we willing to to, to live lives underneath this king? To, to suffer what may come? I don't know if you're reading the signs at all about the direction that our nation is going, but is not headed in a kingdom direction. Which means the days are increasing when we will get to be like our brothers and sisters in other nations who suffer for the name of Christ. There are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of followers of Jesus, that in order to be followers of Jesus, means they are putting their life on the line. It means that at any moment, they could, as they gather as a church, like we're gathering as a church, have someone in authority break into that gathering and carry everyone off to prison. That kind of stuff happens in our world. We as Americans aren't in touch with that because we we have blinders on. But, But there are parts of this world where to be a Christian means you will suffer for it. It is not a decision that you make to climb the ladder of prosperity in this world. And so you have to be, you have to understand that you're climbing the ladder of some other prosperous kingdom. Because the two are in such conflict with one another that you have no choice but to choose one or the other. There is no middle ground. But even in our world, even in our country, please don't be surprised when it feels like you're swimming upstream in order to follow Jesus. Because the flow is headed away from Him. Now, here's the thing. I, yes, we're going to experience persecution in the world. We're going to experience a conflict with the value system of the kingdom of this world. All of that is true. But here's, here's the thing. Um, you're not going to be willing to bear the cost in those ways if you don't actually wrestle with the first persecution that you're going to face, the first form of suffering. What am I talking about? Mark six or Matthew sixteen, but in other places Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. Or he's not sugarcoating things again, right? He's being real. Forever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's the first form of suffering you inevitably have to go to go through in order to experience the kingdom of heaven. You have to die to yourself. That's the, before you can die to the approval of others, before you can die to getting your, your meaning and your purpose uh, out in this world, before any of those things can happen, you have to be willing to die to yourself. And if you're not willing to die to yourself, you'll never face real persecution. See, do you, this is why the whole idea of persecution is so difficult for us as Americans is because we've been taught at all cost to avoid pain, to avoid suffering, and to do absolutely everything that we can to fight for our own comfort. Fight for it in your schedule, fight for it in your job, fight for it in your home. Above all else, just live a comfortable life. See, we've been taught to protect ourselves rather than to abandon ourselves. And we were taught things like, if it hurts, don't do it. Uh, if those people are a drain on you, then cut them out of your life. If you hate your job, then get another one. If you're not satisfied by your church, then go to the one down the street. And on and on and on and on. I just, I want to be as real as Jesus is real. Because this is essentially what Jesus says. If you live to avoid pain and seek comfort, you're not really living, you're dying. And I'm concerned, maybe not in our church family, but certainly in the church generally in our country, that there are people that are dying on the inside and they're missing out on the kingdom of heaven because they're unwilling to die to themselves. They think that Christianity is an add-on bonus feature to their already great life. They think that to be part of a church means that you go on Sunday morning to get your spiritual fill up so that then you can go and live in isolation and maybe sin the rest of the week. Jesus is not an add-on to our life. He's the king. And he demands to be at the center because he knows... That only when he's at the, at the center and only when we're kicked off the throne of our life, only when we abandon ourselves to him do we actually find life. Do we find the kingdom of heaven? Are you willing to entertain that, that may need to become true for you? Um, as I think about where we're going as a church, let me just paint a picture along, just down the path a little bit. Um, next week, we're ending this series this week, and then next week we're going to be going into our identities as a church, family, disciple, missionary, which is a very familiar framework. We've talked about that a lot before. But one of the things that we hope to do with that just mini three-week time is to paint a picture of what that's going to look like for us to live out those three identities in a radical way next year. Um, and, and we're going to start to talk about the vision for being, being families of disciples on mission. Not just talking about it, not just saying that it's true on Sunday mornings, but actually what does it look like for us to, rest- to, to in some ways restructure our church to be able to get after that, uh, that reality not just on sundays but monday to saturday too um, and it's going to it's going to cause us to die to ourselves to have to in a lot of ways to to die to our expectations to die to our desires to die to our uh protection over our time and our homes um in a lot of ways and I'm a little fearful to start to unpack it, just to be honest with you, because I'm fearful of rejection. <laughs> um, I'm fearful that it won't be received in the way that I hope that it's received, because I think it's the king's way. Um, and here's the word that I keep getting. You know, the 2018 has been, you know, what was the theme, that, the word that kind of been popping up again and again for us as a family? You remember? Dependence, right? Dependency. That we would be uh, a people that are just completely dependent. God, if you don't move, we can't move. Like, we need your help to do that. And as I was praying for the rest of this year and into next year, the word that came, keeps coming to mind for me is pursue. That we would pursue him in dependency. That we would all pursue the lives that jesus wants for us that we would pursue the church that jesus wants for us that we would pursue the people that jesus wants for himself and in order to do that it's 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 a requ- like i said it's a it's a vision it's going to require us to die to ourselves because it's going to be too big for us it's going to be one of those things that we can't do in and of ourselves and that's a good thing. It's a good thing because, as a church, if, if I or we ever call you to something that you're capable of doing without the Spirit of God, we're not, prob- we're not calling you to the right things. Because God doesn't call you to things that you can do without Him. He calls you to do things that, he, that you can only do when you have Him. That's the way the kingdom works. That it's a life that you can't do without him. But when you say yes, you get him to do it. You get the patience that you wouldn't otherwise have. You get the endurance that you don't have. You you get the generosity and the self control that you don't have. You get the king. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And I think in order for us to understand what that even begins to mean, we have to be willing to discomfort ourselves. We have to be willing to say, not my will, Jesus, but yours be done. Not my time, Jesus, but your time in my life. Not my desires, but your desires. Because everything that you have has been given to you by a good and loving king that wants to lead you in the path of life. So, do you want to see that king? Do you want to participate in his kingdom? Do you want the king's way? And are you willing to die to yourself in order to get it? Are you willing to say no to all the things that are keeping you from living a life that shows the world what our king is like? That's the question. Here's, here's, here's another way to put it. And we're going to close here. As I said before, like if we're living a kingdom life, then we're going to expect that we're going to have a there's going to be a reaction, right? to the way that we live. Here's the question. Would Jesus have been persecuted and crucified for the life that we live? Like if he lived the same way that you live, would he have been persecuted and crucified for it? Most times when I look at my life, I would have to say no that the way that I live doesn't demand, um, it it doesn't show the kingdom in quite the same way. (laughs) It doesn't attract and repel people to the same degree that it did when Jesus walked the earth. But I know that my king wants to increase my faith and he wants to see the kingdom come in greater degrees than I want it for my life. Um, there was a man that um, that did that really well who passed away this week. His name was Eugene Peterson. And you, pre- you may not have heard that name before, but uh, you do know his maybe his um, his most defining work, and that was that he translated and wrote the version of the Bible called The Message. Um, and his was the kind of life... I mean, he, he devoted his life to... To pastoring a small church in Maryland, uh, and being a pastor to other pastors, and um, he wasn't like the kind of person that like went around to like do all the conferences and like make his name great. But he just said like his definition of obedience to God was a long walk in the same direction. Just like I want to follow Jesus in the everyday ways. I want Him to be my King, and I'm going to take a long walk as long as He would lead me. And he's one of the greatest pastors in the 20th century because of it. And I love, I was thinking about him and I was thinking about his life and, and I was uh, reading in, in Philippians 1 and I just thought, I wonder what that says in the message. Um, and this is, I want to share that with you. This is what it says in Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the gospel. The good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before your opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them and victory for you and both because of God. Now here's the key. This part is up on the screen. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for Him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. Let's pray. Father, we we want to believe that. That those of us who have trusted Christ but refuse to give our lives for the King's work, that we would have a change of heart and a change of mind this morning. That we might be willing to suffer for you as you suffered for us. And God, I I thank you that anything that we suffer in this world, a loss of reputation, a loss of income, a loss of our time, a loss of our free time, Anything that we might give for the king is like pennies in return for our investment that we will get riches in return. And that's why we can be glad, God. Lord, help us to lay down our lives for you as you laid down your life for us. May we be a foretaste of heaven this week everywhere we go because of you. Amen. Thank you, Chair.